Um, what do you get if you plant apple seeds? Let's see if this works. What do you get if you plant apple seeds? Apple trees, of course, yes, you probably didn't even need to Google that one. Could apple seeds ever produce coconut trees? Or fig trees? Or oak trees? No. If you plant apple seeds, they will grow into apple trees every time. Why? Because apple seeds have apple life within them. Apple seeds, apple trees, that's how it works. So what do you get when you plant the gospel? When the gospel takes root in a person's soul, what does it make? Well, that depends on what kind of life gospel seed has within itself, right? Does that make sense? Apple seeds, apple life, apple trees, gospel seed, gospel life, what does that look like? What kind of life does the gospel seed have within itself? What do you get when you plant the gospel? That's where we're going this afternoon. What does gospel-hearted life look like? So we'll start in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 3. That was just read for us. God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, to condemn sin in the flesh. That's what Jim preached for us last week from a different passage, from Romans 3. But the same truth, that God sent his Son, Jesus, to be a sin offering, to be a sacrifice of atonement. That is, that in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, the justice of God was satisfied. Sin, our sin, your sin, my sin, was punished as it must be by a just and holy God. Jesus took my punishment and yours on himself on the cross. And so for all who are in Jesus, that is, for all who by faith say, I trust in Jesus alone, For my salvation. I'm united to him. I believe with my whole heart. That his life and his death. And his resurrection. Are my life and my death. And my resurrection. For all who are in Christ. There is now no condemnation. Because our sin has already been condemned. In his flesh. In the body of Jesus on the cross. Now I want us to keep going. With Paul's argument. But I don't want us to pass this by as if it were just some little thing. That in Christ we are forgiven, our sins wiped away. That we who are by nature sinful, self-centered, rebels and enemies, can be forgiven and stand guilt-free before the Holy God. This is the greatest and most amazing news in the universe ever. That Jesus gave his life for you. So are you in Christ? Have you staked your life and eternity on Him? Forgiveness, right standing with God, a clean heart, a clear conscience is for all who believe that Jesus was delivered over to death for their sins and was raised to life for their salvation. The old hymn goes, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It's the greatest news ever, but it's not the whole news. There's more. Look again at verse 3. The logic is really important, so we're going to go through this quite carefully. For what the law was powerless to do, 
Because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that... Now let's pause there. The law, that is the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, could not achieve something. So God did. Do you see that? What the law was powerless to do. Do you see that in the text? There's something the law cannot do. So God did it. And you'll note what it says. God did whatever it is by sending his son to be a sin offering. Go over it again. The law could not do something. So God did it. The thing the law could not do by sending Jesus. So Jesus being your sin offering was not the end objective. Do you see that? Jesus becoming an offering was how God did something else. How God did what the law could not do. Atoning for sin was not in itself the end goal. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending His Son to be a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh In order that. In order that. So now we get to the goal. The reason why God sent his son as a sin offering. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So the reason God sent Jesus to be a sin offering for you was not just so that you could be forgiven. It certainly was so that you could be forgiven, so that your sins could be washed away. But it was not just for that, not only for that. It was so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you. Note it doesn't say that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled for you or with respect to you. That's also true. That's what Jim preached last week. That when Jesus offered himself on the cross, your sin became his and his perfect righteousness became yours. Yes. But that's not Paul's point here. Here he says that Jesus died so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you. So what is the righteous requirement of the law? Well, turn in your Bibles to Romans 13. From verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and so on, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is fulfilling the law. And Jesus taught exactly the same thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And you'll love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with all your heart and to love other people is to fulfill the law. I know I'm going over this quite pedantically, but let's just run it over again. The law, the Ten Commandments, could not reach fulfillment in you. The law could not make you into a person who loves God with all their heart. 
who loves others as yourself. The law couldn't do it. The law was like a, a botany textbook that described the perfect apple tree. It must have strong roots, the tree should be a foot thick, the crown must be so many meters across, the leaves should be this shape, it must flower in these months, it must make five tons of apples per season. But can the botany textbook make an apple tree? The law could not produce the perfect life in you. It could not make you love God with all your heart. It could not make you love others as yourself. The law was powerless to produce life in you. But who did live the perfect life? Which man did, as a man, as a flesh and blood human being, which man did love God with all his heart and love other people as a servant? Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. The law gave you no ability to keep the law. The law could not make you like Jesus, loving God with all your heart and loving others as yourself. So God sent his son Jesus in order that, remember the logic of Paul's argument here, in order that the life that the law describes could actually happen in you. The gospel is not just the verdict that declares you not guilty. The gospel is also the seed that makes the tree. The gospel is new life. Jesus' life implanted in you and living in you. We asked at the beginning, what do you get when you plant the gospel? You get Jesus' life in you. The very life of the Son of God alive in the soul of you who believe. Gospel life is Jesus' life. Now you may say, well that's all great. I don't feel very much like Jesus. This morning I kicked the dog, swore at my sister, cut in front of someone for a better parking space, secretly resented my friend's promotion at work. I don't feel much like Jesus right now. Right now, the righteous requirement of the law is nowhere close to being fulfilled in me. I'm not in chapter 8, verse 4. I'm in chapter 7, verse 18. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't do it. I don't actually do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. Well, look again with me from chapter 7, verse 21. I find this law at work. I want to do good. But evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. But there's another law, another power at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my body. Christian life is a battle. It's hard. The fiercest battle you will ever fight is against your own flesh, your own sinfulness. Like Paul, you want to do good, you delight in God and in His ways. You want the righteous requirement of the law to be fulfilled in you. You want to love God with all your heart, with all your strength. You want to love others as you love yourself. You want to be more like Jesus. But just as real as that desire is, so also is the reality of your own sinfulness. You want to be kind, but find yourself being unkind. You want to be patient, but find yourself so often impatient. You want to be gentle, 
but are sometimes harsh. You want to be generous, but you withhold. So you cry out, as Paul did, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will take this sinward bent out of me? You see, Paul is not content merely to be justified. He got there back in chapter 3. But here we are, five chapters later, and he's still pressing his argument forward. I'm forgiven, justified, not guilty. But the sin won't let me go. Spared from the penalty of my sin, I want to be free from the power of it. Thanks be to God, he says. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7, verse 25. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Well, what does that mean? If you're in Christ, your sin has already been condemned. Yes, on the cross, Jesus suffered the punishment, the penalty of your sin. The wrath of God that should have been yours and mine was poured out upon Him. Your sin, if you are in Christ, has already been condemned. So there is now no more condemnation. But that's not all it means. You understand the difference between legal condemnation and, let's call it, real condemnation. A a judge can release a cocaine addict from the penalty of the law. But the absence of a legal consequence does nothing to free the addict from addiction. They're still enslaved to cocaine. They still live under the tyranny of sin. Of drugs in this case, sorry. Their life is bound to a power that pushes them, that pulls them to the grave. They are legally free, but legal freedom has not freed them from real condemnation. They remain condemned by their addiction. But good news, friends. The God of the universe is not merely a judge who must uphold the perfect righteousness of the law. He is also a father to those he has saved. A good and loving father who is not content merely to have you pardoned, but who sends his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, verse 9 of chapter 8, the Spirit of Christ, to live in you, to break you free of the hold of the enslaving power of sin. Now, the devil will collect all your sins, parade them in front of you, and tell you, this is who you really are. A slave to your sin. Fine, maybe God has forgiven you. We'll see about that at the judgment. But you're a failure. Becoming like Jesus, you? Never. You're an embarrassment to his name. The devil wants you to believe that your, your struggle with sin is hopeless. That you're permanently defeated. Will you believe that lie? Will you believe that because you still struggle against sinfulness, that means you're condemned, that you're a failure? Let, let me ask it a different way. Have you actually functionally believed it? Have you given up the fight against sin? 
Have you resigned yourself to the way you are? Have you made peace with the sin that still lives in you? Maybe you'll agree with everything I've said in theory, but you've stopped fighting sin in actual life. Well, then you have not yet really believed this truth. But believe it now. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the living power of the Holy Spirit, verse 2 of chapter 8, has set you free in Christ from the power of sin and death. Christian, you are in a battle and you will be in it until the day He calls you home. You are forever free of the penalty of your sin. Jesus won that battle for you. But you are also free of the power of sin. And you need to exercise that freedom by chapter 8 verse 13, by putting to death the deeds of the body. Remember how Paul describes the struggle. In my inner being, in the very heart of me, I love, I delight in God and His ways. My heart of hearts, the real true me, wants to do good. But there's this other power, this other power at work in my flesh that messes me up and keeps me doing wrong. So Paul calls you, the Word of God calls you to battle, to flesh-killing battle. Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Why? Because if you live according to the flesh, if you love your sin, if you don't cry out like Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? then the gospel seed has not taken root in you and you are not saved. Rock of ages cleft for me, we will sing later. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Is that your song, your prayer? But if, verse 13 again, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If you are in the battle, if you are fighting, if you truly, in your heart of hearts, love God and His ways, and you long for holiness, that is the evidence that the gospel seed has taken root in your soul. But how? Where will the power come from? How can we deny our own flesh, our own sinful desires? How can we put to death the deeds of the body? Your flesh does not want to die. Your flesh will not let you kill your flesh. Well, you noticed, I'm sure, that I left something out of verse 13. It doesn't just say, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It says, if... By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. Track with me from the beginning of of chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit who gives life, verse 2, has set you free from the power of sin and death. So that you would become more and more like Jesus. Loving God with all your heart... Loving other people as yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 4. But it will be daily, all the time, battle. 
Carry on from verse 5 and look at this battle in action. Your mind is set either on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit. Verse 6, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It will not and cannot submit to God's law. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, what is the mind set on the flesh? What does that mean? Well, it means me, me, me. The mind set on the flesh is the human condition. I am at the center of the world. My happiness, my pleasures, my desires, my preferences, me, me, me. I am the center of all things and I filter all of life by how it affects me. All decisions are made primarily with regard to how they affect me. If I'm offered a higher paying job that will require me to move to London, I'll take it. But what about the Sunday school class you leave behind? What about your Christian brothers and sisters in your home group? What about the patient witness you've been to your colleagues in your current job? Now, of course, I'm not saying we can never change jobs or move cities. What I am saying is that the mindset of the flesh doesn't care about how your choices affect other people. Or about the impact of your choices on your church family. You could prayerfully consider all of those things and still conclude that it's right to move to the new job, sure. But the mindset on the things of the Spirit doesn't think, me, me, me. But Him, Him, Him. And them, others. The Holy Spirit is always, all the time, turning your thoughts and affections to Jesus. What will best honor Him? In honest heart-searching prayer and having humbly sought the counsel of mature Christians. How do I believe the Lord is leading me in this thing? Is this the best way to spend the days and the energies the Lord has given me for the good of others? The mindset of the Spirit is not me first, it's Jesus first. It's others before me. You versus the power of sin is a losing battle every time. But the power of sin is not the only power at work in you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ lives in you. And Jesus versus the power of sin, that battle has already been won. It has been won for you at the cross, and it is being being won in you, moment by moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ you are free. Free from the power of me first. Free from the power of sin. So keep working out, keep advancing, keep pressing forward into the freedom of loving God and loving others. So what do you get when you plant the gospel? What kind of life does gospel seed contain? To be saved, friends, is to be pardoned. To be declared not guilty. To be made righteous in God's sight by the finished work of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. And to be saved is to be set free from the enslaving power of sin. To be free more and more each day by the power of the Holy Spirit. To love God with all your heart and to love others before yourself. In other words, the life within the gospel seed is Jesus' life. When you plant apple seeds, which have apple life in them, they make apple trees. 
When you plant the gospel, the life of Jesus by the power of, of the Spirit of Christ takes root in you. And it makes disciples. Followers of Jesus who are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, becoming ever more like him. Now friends, why are we preaching this series? We're going to come together here on Wednesday evening to say before the Lord that we commit to one another. We commit to belonging to one another in Christ. And we will, we will say out loud together these words. By the grace of God at work within us, we will love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. That's being a disciple. That's gospel life. That's Jesus' life alive within us. Let me start that again. By the grace of God at work within us, we will love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, souls, and strength, and devote ourselves to making disciples as the Lord Jesus Christ has commissioned his church to do. In other words, we commit to being disciples, making disciples. Or the other way around, we commit to making disciples as disciples. The point is, friends, what we are doing as a church is not arbitrary. We didn't just think up a cool tagline and say, well, that's what our mission will be, making disciples as disciples. No. I want you to see, and I hope I've treated this passage clearly enough that you do see, that being a disciple is inherent within the gospel. The gospel itself, the gospel, not the structures of systematic theology, not the personal passions of your pastor, or even the shared passions of your elders. The gospel, the reality of the life of Christ alive within every true believer, drives us, compels us to a very specific mission as a church. And I think I've probably said enough to pass the baton to John for next week's message who will be talking about our mission as a church. So I think uh, I will ask you now just to bow your hearts with me as I pray. Our gracious God and Father, what news is this? That in Christ, our sins are washed away. And that because of Christ in us, we are remade. We are, we are being made new. We are being made more and more into the likeness of your Son. By the power of your Spirit. Not by our willpower. Not because we think it's a good idea. Not because we try really hard. The law could not do it. The law still cannot do it. The life of Christ. Alive in us. Makes us like Jesus. What awesome news that we get to live the Jesus life, even in this battle, even where we still have this power at work within us, waging war against us, even in this battle, in the dirty reality of this life, not just when we get to heaven, but now, today, we get to live the Jesus life because of what you have done. We give you thanks, Father. Amen.